At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope. It's great with to the see all of you today. Of Again, my name is Steve Zerilli, and I uh, had the privilege of being at this campus for about five years, and so grateful for Pastor Billy and Amy. Aren't they amazing people? Can we just give them a hand this morning? Most of the time, he doesn't bother me at all. Um, he's just wonderful, wonderful to serve with, and uh, just just his passion, his sense of humor, his gifting, uh, Amy's joy, uh, they are just a gift to our church family. And it's far beyond just Woodside Romeo uh, with all of our campus pastors and all the people across our locations. I just want you guys to know that these two are a blessing as well as their family to us. And so I'm just so thankful to be here this morning uh, with you guys once again. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a few years, but uh, the last time I was here, Billy made me wear a really ugly construction jersey and hat. He didn't wear anything. He just put it on me and like dressed me up like a Barbie doll. And uh, so this morning when I came in and saw this building, it just looks beautiful. And I, uh, I, I know that you guys probably hear it all the time, but we could care less about the, the bricks and the mortar. I'm so excited about the life change that's going to happen over there in the days ahead for this community. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to take a little time this morning and set up our series. So if you have a Bible, please make your way to 1 Peter. And it's a little bit of a heavier topic, and I'm not going to shy away from that. I want to give some language to what I think our culture is going through right now. And it's a heavy time, so appropriately, I think it needs to be set up that way. So listen to this excerpt from an opinion piece written by the New York Times this July entitled, Feeling Hopeless? Embrace it, and then take action. This is what the author said, there's no particular moment when I gave up hope. It's been a gradual, inexorable, inexorable process. Once I'd given up, despair sometimes overtook me, and I could not locate myself. Long denied, painful feelings insisted on being noticed. I searched for something, anything, with which to distract and busy myself. A goal, some direction, the promise of a worthy accomplishment, or at least a diverting amusement. Anything to avoid the dissonance between my lifelong propensity towards optimism and my growing sense of despair. Do I have hope now? If hope means the expectation that someone, a new president, or something, geoengineering, or some other techno fix, is going to save us, then no. I'm hopeless, or rather, hope-free. Instead, I subscribe to Vaclav Havel's version of hope. Havel was a Czech writer and statesman. And this is what he said. It's not the conviction that something will turn out well. That sounds promising. But the certainty that something makes sense, because we can usually figure it out, regardless of how it turns out. Now, to be fair to him, this whole article was meant to be optimistic. It was actually meant to encourage. But when you pull back the curtain, here's where it lands. Embrace the dismal reality of death, then do everything that you can with your life that's good, and maybe you'll experience a little bit of joy. The end. That's the sentiment and the belief system of most in our culture today. 
This is what they're buying into. Here's another one from the health page of CNN in June. Feeling hopeless after a tough week? Here are five things that may help. Number one, acknowledge your feelings and put a label on them. Two, connect with others. Three, get involved. Four, be kind to yourself. Five, acknowledge the good. Now, maybe that sounds better. Maybe that sounds like a decent list, but we have to learn how to spot empty, secular philosophies. And that's what this is. This type of thinking, just stay with me for a minute because this is so relevant for us today. This type of thinking is called secular progressivism. Secular progressivism is not a political idea. This, this is not a political schema. It's a social idea. It's a worldview. It's the idea that we can have progress as human beings. We can flourish as human beings, but without God. That, that's the idea behind it. We can get all the good things that religion tries to offer the world, all the hope of religion, but without having God involved in the story. So it's God's kingdom, but without the king. It's wanting the fruits of heaven through human achievement. It's the hope of a post-Christian world. It's a revival, but in the opposite direction. It's a revival that removes faith and religion from society altogether. And friends, this is exactly the sentiment of our society. This is the writing. This is the news. This is where things are moving. Where does this kind of view of the world lead us? We kind of know already. USA Facts reported just recently that 48% of Christians are feeling down, depressed, or hopeless during COVID-19. Surprised? Half of our culture? I'm not. So here's the question. Is hope dead? Is hope nothing more than accepting our meaningless, inevitable fate while trying to find a little bit of meaning and joy by being a decent human being. Friends, please hear this. There is a huge silver lining to all of this upheaval, to all of this political upheaval and racial upheaval and global uncertainty and violent instability. People are realizing that their secular visions don't deliver on what they promise. The culture we see advertised thought everybody was moving in the same direction. The culture we see advertised saw everybody moving down the same stream, that everybody was swimming the same direction, embracing the same views of what life should be like. They thought everybody was going to sit back and enjoy sipping their Starbucks lattes. The culture thought we could build up a utopian society full of personal fulfillment and full of pleasure without God. And now, secular progressivism is getting exposed as a failed experiment that has led to more chaos, more isolation, and more hopelessness. Where does this view of society leave the culture? People now are desperate for meaning. Would you agree? They are desperate to find identity. They are desperate for lasting community. And guess what? This is exactly what the gospel of Jesus has to offer. This is the beauty of our message. Hope is not dead. Hope has a name, in fact. Hope has a pulse. Hope is literally alive and well in the person of Jesus right now. And this is what we have to offer society. So Jesus is our living hope. This is the whole point of our text today, that he is our living hope. If you are searching for hope, 
then there is good news for you. There's good news for you this morning. If you already have received this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then like me, my hunch is that you're experiencing this ever-expanding disconnect between our faith and the surrounding culture. We all feel this. We all sense this. So what do we need to do? Here's the key question. What do we need to do when we are struggling to find our footing because we realize we've been exiled in this society. That's what's happening. When we are beginning, just beginning to feel the birth pains of suffering for our beliefs. When we once called, those things that we once called immoral and evil are now called good and celebrated. And when what we once called good and what we celebrated is now called religious radicalism. Christian extremism, dangerous bigotry. Welcome to the world of 1 Peter. Maybe you didn't think God had something to say about this scene, but this is exactly the culture that he found himself in when he wrote about our unshakable hope to a scattered group of Christians in churches that were facing real exile in modern-day Turkey from the culture around them. These Christians that were spread across this whole region because of their faith, they, they weren't just concerned about losing a tax break over a tithe. It was much more extreme for them. Hope is, hope is something that they held on to in the midst of real persecution. They were suffering. And the result of their witness during a time like that was that Christianity exploded in the Roman Empire. That's what their witness did in that cultural setting. And so 1 Peter will show us that hope is active. It's not passive. Hope is something we practice, not something just simply that we believe. Hope is something we do, not just something we think. So the first thing we need to do when we are struggling to find our footing in this culture is to worship, to praise God that heaven is secured. To praise God that heaven is secured. Look at verse One, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. If you like to circle or underline, circle or underline those two words. Elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. There is no mistaking who wrote this letter. It's Peter. That Peter. You know that Peter, right? Peter the fisherman. Peter the leader. Peter the weak. Peter the strong. Peter the courageous. Peter the fool. Peter who walked on water, who denied the Christ three times, who was a witness of the resurrected Lord. That Peter. Could you imagine getting a letter from him? Just shows up in the mail. Who's it from? Peter. The apostle. And Peter is writing to this very specific audience, these elect exiles. Those are strong and fascinating words. On the one hand, let's look at both of them and break them down. On the one hand, the Christians are the elect of God. Christians are chosen, picked out by God. That's what the the, the word means. A people of God, distinct from the world around them, yet we're surrounded by the world around us. Christians are elect, it says, but they're also exiles, pilgrims, strangers, people with a different address. 
elect and exile. It's up and it's down. It's encouraging and threatening. It's glorious and it's uncomfortable. The elect, if we focus in on the beauties of that word, is the glory of who we are. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The God beyond time knew us before time. It's incredible to think about. The God who holds time holds us. The theological word is that God is omniscient. Everybody say omniscient. Say that with me. Omniscient. Omniscient, it means all-knowing. He has knowledge of all that was before it ever came to be. He was there before the beginning. He knows the end. And guess what? This God, through Christ, knows you personally, intimately. The elect here is the glory of being in the sanctification of the Spirit. That means we are set apart by the Spirit of God for this particular time, for this particular moment, for this particular season. You are not an accident. God has a purpose for you right now in this year, in this time, in your neighborhood, in your network. The elect is the glory of being set apart for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. I hope you caught what Peter just did there. Peter says we have been chosen by the Father, are being transformed by the Spirit, so we will be obedient to the Son who made us clean spiritually through His blood. What a glorious triune, make your head explode because it's too wonderful to understand description of who we are in Christ. And yet, he says we are exiles, adopted by God, Enemies, according to the world. Children of God, chastised by the world. Friends of God, foes, according to the world. Is that how your Christian experience is beginning to feel? Do you feel like the culture is headed this way, perhaps? But notice what Peter says God's mercy has done for all those who believe. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been spiritually reborn to a living hope. Our hope is not just feeling that something good will happen or just trying to make sense of the world. It's a literal person, a person who demonstrated that God's goodness and blessing will be the end of all of this. And how do we know that? Because at the end is not death. At the end, according to him and according to fact, according to history, is resurrection. It's life. Our hope is not insecure than expectancy. Our hope instead is an unshakable fact built on the empty tomb. Verse 4. We're born into this inheritance, then, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let me ask you a question. If this is who you are in Christ, if you have given your life and your faith to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, made him your Lord and Savior, if God's power holds your salvation, if God's power holds your soul, if God's power holds the promise of heaven, do you think you have the ability to lose it? 
Are you stronger than he is? Does your word carry more authority than his? What does this lead us to, friends? This reminds us if he holds our souls, then heaven's secure because it's not up to us. It's up to him. And that should fill us with encouragement because if it was dependent upon me, then I'm in some trouble. How about you? But he holds it. This God that I've been describing, that Peter's been talking about, holds your future. Now, let's be honest about the current moment. The greatest pandemic in the world right now are people and philosophies and policies that overpromise and underdeliver. How do we deal with all the disappointments of, you'll get this, sorry, it didn't work out. You'll get that, sorry, you don't get that. When you realize that chasing after success and pleasure doesn't deliver on its promise of giving you identity and meaning, where does that lead? When you feel the constant pressure to pursue the life that you see all over social media, but realize you'll never get there. Why? Because it's all a fantasy. Where does that leave you? When you come to grips with the reality that self-image and self-confidence and self-awareness and self-discovery don't ultimately satisfy your soul, what do you think happens? Isolation skyrockets. Depression skyrockets. Anxiety, suicides, tribalism, fear skyrockets. It's exactly what we're seeing. This is exactly what is happening in our culture right now. People have to hope in something. It's how we're built. And so what happens, what happens when the object of someone's hope fails? Well, they have to find a new place to put hope, right? So think about our culture. This is what secular progressivism has done. Its whole goal is to get rid of religion from society. And so what, what it's done is take faith and it's removed it from that pedestal. It can't offer hope. What else has it done? It takes family, what, and it kicks it off that pedestal. It can't offer hope. So faith no longer offers people hope according to society. Family has been kicked off that pedestal for offering hope. Most people eventually realize that just hoping in themselves doesn't work out either. So where does the culture turn? Politics and government, Right? That's all that's left when you look at the institutions of a society. So they turn to these things. The culture ends up asking politics to do things that it will never be able to do. Things like provide meaning and purpose and identity. Why are people so worked up? This is why. Because they're trying to find their meaning, purpose, and identity in a place that it was never meant to be found. And one of the only places that's left in our society that hasn't been completely removed. And so it's over-promise and under-deliver. Politics can never be a savior. Politics can never sanctify. It doesn't produce the fruits. It promises to grow. Church, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Participate in it. Sure. <laughs> Let's participate. Let's be active citizens. But put your hope in it? No way. No way no way <laughs> no way <laughs> so we should not get so worked up when stuff doesn't go our way in the political scene that's the whole point here why because we have hope in christ that's the difference participate yes care about it yes 
But where's our hope ultimately? In Christ is where we find our story. In Christ is where we find our meaning. In Christ is where we find our purpose. In Christ is where we find an identity. In Christ is where we are known. That's where we're loved. That's where we're secure. That's where we have been promised heaven. And heaven is a promise that will be delivered because the government in Jesus' day couldn't deliver his body when his disciples started saying he was alive. That's how we can know what's going to happen. So what should we do? Well, first, we should confess all the people. We should personally confess all the philosophies. We should personally confess all the policies that take up more of our mind's space than our Savior. We should lay down the false hopes we've been carrying when it comes to political outcomes and cultural change. We are in a world that is not secure because it's fighting against God as the king. You're in exile. But your home is waiting for you. It's held for you. It's kept in Christ. Let's put our hope in the only place it belongs, in the gracious gospel of Jesus. Now, the second thing we need to do when we are navigating through the insecurities of our culture, again, is worship. It's to praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. We're going to just touch on these next two points much more quickly. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice a few things here. I love that Peter is honest. He says, trials are terrible. They're terrible. It is okay to be grieved. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have to fight for joy when you're suffering. We can acknowledge the pain of our experience. We can be honest about how awful and disheartening and discouraging seasons of life can be. And so Peter reminds us, it's just for a little while. It's all just temporary. This is why community is so critical, because when I'm overwhelmed with the difficulties of life, we need one another to remind us of the hope of our Christian witness to remind us of where we're headed. In our culture, the picture oftentimes for the believer is much less clear because the second thing that's stated here is let's recognize that the context here is Christians who are suffering for their faithful witness to Jesus, not their disobedience to Jesus, for their faithful obedience to Jesus. The point is that the passage assumes that the Christian is faithful. In our culture, that picture is much less clear. You have Christians who pass what's called the abductive reasoning test. You know what that test is? It's also called the duck test. They look like a duck. They swim like a duck. They quack like a duck. But sometimes when the fire comes, their true lack of faith is revealed. The fire reveals our faith. That's what we need to embrace, that the fire reveals our faith. 
So let's not be surprised when these types of things come our way, when trials come our way. Jesus warned us of this reality, didn't he, over and over and over again? Think of the words of John 15 when he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, what's the phrase that Peter used? We are exiles. But I chose you out of the world. There's that choice again of God for us. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's so hard for us to comprehend this within our culture, but I think we can all agree we are seeing those birth pains begin. Think about his life here, his suffering that revealed his faith in the Father. His suffering brought salvation to any who would believe in him. And somehow, he was able to see the joy, according to the book of Hebrews, in front of him while he was in the middle of the suffering. This is the only way we can experience joy in the midst of suffering. Here's the secret. Here's the only way to experience joy. Joy in the middle of being exiled by looking ahead to the outcome. That's how we do it. And so we have to be so in love and so excited and so looking forward to the concept of heaven that the future hope of heaven far surpasses anything in our minds or hearts that we could experience right now. Is that how great and grand the vision of heaven is to you? It's a glorious vision. And when we hold on to that vision, that becomes our hope. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. You know this verse. When you meet trials or fires of various kinds. And he was martyred for his faith. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you are suffering, be honest about the fact that there is no joy in the suffering itself. But realize there is joy to be found in the outcome. Please get that. That will help us. That will help us in the days ahead. That's what Peter is after here, the hope-filled outcome. So he says, look ahead, friends. Lift up your heads. See where your help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. During the run, your lungs are going to hurt, your legs are going to get tired, your body will eventually break down and feel pain, but the outcome of the run is worth it, right? There's endorphins and burned calories and a stronger heart and a dessert without guilt. We look to the outcome. We look to the outcome. Last, we need to praise God that salvation has come when we are navigating through the insecurities of our culture. Praise God that salvation has come. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, talking about this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. That is, they searched the scriptures. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There's the trial, the fire, the sufferings of Christ, and the outcome, the glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
The point is, the prophets, the angels, in fact, all of creation was waiting for the good news to come. For us, on this side of the cross, the point is, the waiting's over. Jesus has come. Forgiveness has come. Grace and glory has come. Life has come. Hope has come. The death and resurrection of Jesus was not the end of the story. It was simply the linchpin of history. That's what it was. So I have to ask you as we close this morning, have you responded to Christ in faith? Do you really know him? Are you known by him? Though you haven't seen him, have you responded to him? He's the only security that you will ever find. He's the only security that will satisfy. If we even as believers continue to put hope in things that can't hold our hope, we will constantly be disappointed. We have to place it in him alone. Because when the ground shook at the cross, remember this, the moment he died, the earthquake that came, he became the only solid foundation to build your life on. He's the only one. There's no other person. There's no other philosophy. There's no other policy that can hold your soul, that can hold all of your hope and deliver, except for Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. That's good news for you if you are in Christ this morning. And if you're not, it's good news for you because you get to respond to him if the Holy Spirit's prompting your heart even now. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage that Peter writes. Our brother who came so many years before, Father. And we know that when we look upon his life and his suffering, as he embraced the sufferings of his Savior, Jesus, that ultimately his hope was in heaven. Father, I pray that it would be the same for us today. Father, there's so many philosophies, people, policies, trying to promise people what only you can. Only you can give us meaning. Only you can satisfy. Only you can give us per mercy. Only you can give us purpose. So Father, I pray for any here this morning, any listening in, Lord, that if their hope has been placed on things in this world, even upon themselves, and they realize today that they are in desperate need of something secure, something unshakable, that they would place their hope even now in Jesus by praying, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you are the only firm foundation on which we can stand. You have come, you have died, you suffered for me so that my sin might be forgiven so that I might be reconciled restored into the family of God give me new life give me this living hope and Father for all of us who have embraced it help us to live within Christ confidently that we would leave this place knowing whose we are who has us, who holds us in the palm of his hand. It's you, Father. You are over all. You're beyond all, before all. You are in all. And so, Father, we place our hope in you. We trust you with everything that is to come, that everything that has come, even now in this moment, 
Father, we give you our lives. We worship you. We praise you for what is held for us in Christ. It's our motivation. It's our inspiration to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond to worship this morning. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.